Hello, hello, welcome to a episode of Burning Fight. As always, I'm your host, Angelo DeAngelis. Um, I wanted to do a sort of a bridge episode. I know the third episode just came out. Um, as always, I appreciate Zach getting that up. Um, I, f- I think Zach did an apology. Not necessary. Things happen, folks. It's just Japanese wrestling. You know, I'm happy it's out there and now we can continue it. Um so I think the last time that we had covered something was technically September 19th. So I wanted to bridge the gap between now and then, or then and now. It's early. It's 7.58 a.m. I guess that's not early for a lot of people, but it's pretty early for me. Um, so I just wanted to catch everything up because I think I might go down to two weeks at a time, one month sometimes, just depending on what's happening at the moment. Um, because I feel like sometimes, you know, with tournament season, it's nice to talk about everything every week, but um, that can also become a little bit tiring as well. Do we really need to hear about heat up every week? Do we really need to hear about all of the uh, house shows, Pure J, what they're doing? And the answer is, unless there's some really big storyline developments, typically no. So I really want to veer into more of conversations about what's going on rather than just repeating results over and over because at that point if you're not really following the promotion if you're not really familiar with the talent it's kind of just words meaningless words so I wanted to uh, kind of go into a new direction with this as always let me know what you think to the potential three listeners that listen to this you are my favorites thank you um so Without further ado, let's just jump into it. Um, today, we're going to start with New Japan Pro Wrestling, who has been continuing their G1 Climax Tour. As of this morning, they just finished their 11th day out of 19 days. I've not watched day 11 yet. Um, it has Ishii versus Great Khan and Shingo versus Toriyano, uh, Tongaloa versus Kenta, and Yujiro Takahashi versus Zack Sabre Jr., so... Uh, yeah, not very cool. Um, however, I'm going to talk about the matches that have been great throughout the tournament, and I think you'll start to see a bit of a pattern, especially for the B block. So, day three of the tournament, I think we had already talked about Shingo Takage versus Tomohiro Ishii, as well as Tetsuya Naito versus Zack Sabre Jr., on day one, and on day two, Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kazuchika Okada. Um, just to recap, you know, Naito and Zack Sabre Jr., I think that they had the best B-block match of last year, better than Tanahashi and uh, Naito from day one. Um, they have an I- incredible chemistry, and I feel like Sabre is able to really tick um, Naito up a notch when sometimes he's in that, I'm going to wrestle in my t-shirt mantra you know and uh i thought that sack saber jr really needed to get a big win immediately in the tournament 
overnight though, just to kind of, you know, get his win back from last year because he got incredibly close among other things. And what wound up happening, as we all know now, is that Naito had to be pulled out of the tournament due to knee injury. Um, since then, Zack Sabre Jr. has been bragging. He's gone on a winning streak, or so he was. And while, you know, he's worked other body parts besides the knee, um, I think as Eastern Lariat uh, pointed out, it could have been incredibly you know smart to continue that narrative of Zack Sabre Jr. taking out people's knees as opposed to just submitting everything but at the same time I really like how Zack Sabre Jr. is not just focusing on one body part it's not just hey I'm going to take out your knee it's hey I can take out any part of your body in a sense I think that makes him almost more multifaceted and uh, dangerous as well that it's not just the knee if you're able to defend the knee then he can get your elbow If if you can defend the elbow then he can get your neck so on and so forth. So Zack Sabre Jr. has, without a doubt, been the best part in both blocks of this year's G1 competition. Um, on day three, uh, recommended matches. Kota Ibushi versus Tomohiro Ishii. Uh, the narrative of Kota Ibushi coming to the tournament being that the aspirational pneumonia and just all of the illnesses that have kind of kept him on the shelf and injuries this year. Um have really caught up with him. And maybe Ibushi just isn't Ibushi. Can he still go? And I'm kind of pissed off at this because Kota Ibushi defeated Tomohiro Ishii. So after one day, Kota Ibushi essentially regained all of his strength, right? Why couldn't Tomohiro Ishii have beaten Kota Ibushi on day one instead? Why did it have to be Yujiro Takahashi getting this massive rub while he hasn't won any other matches since, or so I believe. Like, Yidro's already a complete non-factor again, and yet they gave him this massive rub as though he was really legitimized to be in the G1. He's yet to have another good match by any means. His match with Kento was watchable, but uh, it just seemed like a waste of a loss when you could have given it to someone who actually matters and it makes sense that if abushi wasn't on his a game they could beat him because it's not even about abushi being on his a game to defeat yujiro it's about abushi essentially just being able to walk to be able to beat yujiro and um yeah so i found that incredibly frustrating is i feel it kind of negated the narrative that was in play thus far in the tournament however this was a good match it felt like abushi returning to form Ishii continuously challenged him throughout this match. You know, can you do this still? Can you, you got it, all this shit. So it was fun to see Ibushi really, or uh, Ishii summon the murder Ibushi out of Ibushi. And then in the main event, we had Zack Sabre Jr. submitting IWGP heavyweight champion Shingo Takagi in another fantastic Zack Sabre Jr. showcase. Shingo is always is great. Um... I feel like I've almost had to see Shingo so many times this year step up and carry situations. Um, Wrestle Kingdom against Cobb. Um, Then he wins the Never, right? Then he won the Never, or maybe that was last year. I'm not sure. The New Japan Cup with Osprey essentially having to do all of the best matches in that tournament. Then he fought Osprey for the title again. Then Osprey gets hurt, so then Shingo has to fight Okada for the title, wins. Then Shingo's doing all of these multi-man matches. 
Then Shingo's fighting evil. It really feels like Shingo's been put in this position where he can't fail this year. And that's a lot. And by no means am I saying that I'm getting tired of Shingo. But I think when you see someone perform in this many big matches in a single year, um, I mean, look at Goshiyazaki did about six in a year in 2020. And that was an all-time great run. Shingo's like 15, 20 big matches this year now. I mean, including the G1 as well, but especially in the in the, the champion's role, you're always going 20 plus minutes. And at this point, sometimes it feels like I'm on autopilot during these Shingo matches personally. Not to say that they aren't good, but it's like once you've seen such scale, it's like, okay, I know this is going to be good. And it's kind of hard to penetrate that wow factor anymore, you know? And so while Shingo's matches have been great, it's like, especially on day nine of Bushi Shingo, it's fantastic, but I feel like I've seen this before now. And I feel like these matches are happening too often next to each other, obviously a year apart, but still it's just like, okay, we need to freshen up. We need to expand this roster we need to get new feuds we need to set up new matches because these are becoming old at this point and you know Shingo, Abushi, Ishii, Tanahashi, Naito, Okada these guys are not going to be around for forever and right now who are your flag bearers for the company even in the heavyweight division you have Okan that's it you have Master Wato for the juniors, like, what the fuck? I mean, New Japan has this young lion system. I guess you have Carl Fredericks, right, from the, the U.S., but these aren't people, I mean, Shota Amino, but these are three people at most. Ren Narita, if he joins the heavyweights. Um, New Japan's future is not looking so bright right now, and I feel like that's the first time you could have probably said that in a generation, but, you know... I will say this too, I mean, with, with Kitamura, um, that freak monster beast that was slated to become a new top prospect as well, essentially retiring from pro wrestling, that definitely shot them in the foot as well. But there's a lot more that can be done right now for the future of New Japan, and it feels like they're so desperate to just try to figure out now that they're completely, completely forgetting what's to come. So stop sending people to the fucking UK for excursions. How about that? So, Zack Sabre Jr. submits Shingo Takagi through, uh, with arm work. Just a great match. Again, Zack Sabre Jr. is the MVP of this tournament. Day 5 of the tournament, Shingo Takagi faced Yuji Nagata in a non-tournament match. And of course, they went 17 minutes, hard as hell. Just a great match between these two. Nagata can still go. Shingo can really carry anyone. Not even that it's about carrying, but he can work with anyone's limitations. He can work any style of match. And this one proved that as well. And then we also had Zack Sabre Jr. going over and submitting Kota Ibushi clean. This is when I really started to freak out. And I was saying, oh my God, they're really capitalizing on Zack Sabre Jr. taking out Naito. And I feel like New Japan is a company that never really capitalizes on anything. Instead, they just say, hey, let's push evil. So... At this point, I was saying, you know, Zack Sabre Jr. really shouldn't lose to anyone. After you go over Shingo, Naito, and Ibushi, I mean, who else is really in contention to win the block? 
besides Great Ocon at that point. And to me, it's like if you can really make a new main event star, and especially after all of Zack Sabre Jr.'s babyface prowess and growth this year in his tag team with Taichi, um, especially in those massive 37-minute matches at times against people like G.O.D. and Los Ingobernables, like, fuck, man, give him an undefeated run into the finals. It doesn't matter if he wins it, but... You know, give him that finals rub. Give him that undefeated rub. It's okay if he beats Ishii, Kenta, Yano, and fucking Takahashi. These aren't people that need to go over or get wins ultimately, right? Make a new star. Take that leap of faith. But as we'll see, they don't. Um, Day six, the first time we can talk about A Block. Kazuchika Okada versus Yoshihashi. I mentioned this match not because of Okada, but because of Yoshihashi. He is the best pure babyface in the company right now. That's not an exaggeration. That's not a joke. That's not sarcasm. That is 100% pure big match hash fucking wisdom right there for you, baby. Yoshihashi, it's like, you know, a lot of people's writers, they'll say they finally found their voice. Yoshihashi finally found his fighting spirit. This guy is unstoppable. His matches have some of the highest intensity outside of an Ishii or a Shingo, which really, really makes me wish that Yoshihashi would have gone to A Block this year because I think that he really could have had a show out year because even though he's got Taichi, even though he's got Okada, Tanahashi, Goto, it's like he's definitely in the weaker block. And I think it's incredibly evident that that is the weaker block. Um, he's the only person capable of having a good match with Evil because he's the only person that you care about enough as a babyface to want to see defeat Evil. He really is the diamond in the rough in this block, and I am loving his performance pretty much every single one. Day 7 of the tournament, we had Great O'Connor and Zack Sabre Jr. Um, outside of his, I believe his New Japan Cup match with Tetsuya Naito, which I gave four stars, I haven't really enjoyed any great other Great O'Connor matches. Until this one. As Kevin Kelly pointed out on the English commentary, these two men never once even touched the ropes in this match. They never bounced off of them. They never left the ring. This was a grapple fuck match. This was everything you could want in map-based wrestling, submission-based wrestling, catch-as-catch-can wrestling. This was incredible. I think we saw when Great Okan fought Tanahashi for the Never title, we really saw that amateur background come out of Okan, and everyone was like, oh shit, why doesn't he do more of that? Instead of these weird Mongolian chops and stuff like that, which sometimes don't quite fit with this character. Like, it feels like Okan has a very diverse wrestling background, but he's not quite sure how to fit all of that into this character yet. And I feel like it's almost the character so much more so that's limiting him. I mean, especially with Cobb, he can be a straight shooter, man. He doesn't need to be this sort of quirky, weird, uh, supernatural character like an evil. You know, this guy's badass. Let him be badass. But yeah, this match was incredible. I was really, really worried that if Khan got the win over Zack Sabre Jr. here, that that would signify... A pretty solid chance for Okan winning the block, and that's just not something that I was interested in seeing, at least yet. But this was a star-making performance for Okan, at least in a sense of now, 
I'm not dreading to see his matches. In fact, I'm excited to see what else he can do. Hopefully, this was a turn in the right direction for him, and he's feeling that fire as well. And again, Zack Sabre Jr. got a win. He's the only person where I'm going, holy shit, when he actually gets a win. Um, day eight, Yoshihashi versus Taichi. Again, just incredible babyface fire all over, all around. Yoshihashi finally gets his first big win of the tournament. Taichi, not as good this year as he was last year. Um, but again, I think that's because he was in that better block. You know, he had Ibushi, he had Jay White, he had Ishii, he had Shingo. And let's be honest, Okada and Tanahashi have just not been having impressive performances in the G1 the past couple years. I really just, especially in terms of what Tanahashi's been doing this G1, I mean, the guy's been on a winning streak via roll-up for about two shows. And he's the U.S. champion. I don't think the roll-up shows that Tanahashi's turning heel. I don't think the roll-up shows anything except this guy's getting old and he's not able to do it the way he has been. And, you know, obviously that's a great storyline. But why is he getting wins then? Let's really amp up that broken down horse storyline. We're going to have to take Tanahashi out back. You feel me? Um... And I'm just sick of it because then what you're going to do, you're going to have Chase Owens pin him clean. What the fuck is the point then? Why is he getting wins over Sonata and Tomatonga if you're going to have Chase Owens go over him? And even then, just Google speaking out Chase Owens, right? That's all you need to know about what else Chase Owens has accomplished. So, day nine, Tomohiro Ishii versus Zack Sabre Jr. Zack's first loss, but still... An incredible match, four stars. Yeah, all of these matches are four stars or above for me. And then we had Kota Ibushi versus Shingo Takagi. We had already talked about that earlier, so I won't go that too far too, too far into it. That was a 4.25 for me. And then day 10 of the tournament, we had Hiroki Goto versus Yoshihashi. Um, these two men beat the living hell out of each other. This match was exactly what it had to be. I wish it was the main event. I wish it meant lo went longer, but... This was the first match where Goto actually felt inspired. And what's so great about this match and kind of shows you how weak the other matchups have been, neither of these men are even in contention to go to the finals anymore, but this was still the most exciting matchup of the night because they actually cared, because there was actually a fire to it. There was actually interest. Sonata and Okada is always a great matchup, but fuck, man, we've seen that 10 times in the past three years. We don't need to see it again. I mean, you can only go 27 minutes with these two so many times where it's like, okay, and of course Okada wins again. It's just not interesting at this point. It seems like Cobb and Okada will both go undefeated until the final day. And honestly, why the hell not make it interesting? In my, in my head, I'm hoping for a Zack Sabre Jr. Jeff Cobb finals. What we'll probably get Kazuchika Okada and Kota Ibushi or Kazuchika Okada and Zack Sabre Jr. finals with Okada winning and going to the Dome and finally getting his title back. But who the fuck knows what's going to happen because that's three days of Wrestle Kingdom, which is, which is two more days of Wrestle Kingdom than we need. And I think we'll really start to show the deterioration of New Japan, especially after Stardom's big show on December 29th and then Noah's big show on January 1st at the Budokan. Now then, speaking of professional wrestling, Noah. Noah finished their N1 victory tour. So we talked a lot about the block finals and all about that. And in the semifinals, we saw Keno versus Kaito Kiyomiya. 
The buildup to this was fun. Kaito Kiyomiya talked about his new look, why he got rid of his blonde hair, his shiny tights, and opted instead for a grungier, darker look. Kaito Kiyomiya said he's done with looking pretty. He's here to break skulls. He's here to just wrestle. I am enjoying this change in character for Kiyomiya, especially as he's teaming with Masa Kitamiya in the tag division as the champions. I think that he needed to more match Kitamiya's badass nature. And this is exactly what makes that work. Keno went over Kiyomiya with a roll-up. Both semifinal matches were good. I had both at four stars. I really can't recommend this final show enough, at the very least, for these three matches. Um, and once Keno won, going into this show, I was like, I need a Keno Nakajima final. These two guys have been running parallel the whole year. Is the sort of two, you know, Keno's the de facto leader of Congo. But um, Nakajima's pretty much in kayfabe strength levels right there with him, as was Kitamiya. So when Kitamiya left, it felt like Nakajima and Keno really became best friends. And uh, Keno really started to look out for Nakajima in a new way. So that was the story that I needed, that I wanted. Then, thank God, Katsuhiko Nakajima defeated Masakatsu Funaki in another just amazing shoot style match. I mean, you could feel every movement. You could see every great transition, the ways that Funaki is going to go from guard into the arm bar on top, twisting his hips, all of that great stuff. And I have to say a lot of this is the result, like noticing these little things sometimes is the result of the fast, fantastic English commentary of Stuart Fulton and Mark Pickering. I cannot recommend these two enough. They are doing all this cyber fight stuff. They're doing some of the stardom shows. These two are the best commentators in the game right now. In the US, in Japan, in the UK, Mexico, it doesn't matter. No one is as good as these guys. In the finals, Fulton goes, this, there's more strikes than a matchbox. There's more kicks than a sneaker factory. And it was just a fucking blast, man. I mean... Just those fun, great calls, never too corny, just really showing the passion, the excitement in the moment. So in the finals, Katsuhiku Nakajima goes over Keno to win his second consecutive N1 victory tournament. He will now be facing Nayamichi Marafuji for the title on October 10th or 9th, I believe. I think the 10th or the 11th. I believe Maki Ito's facing for the title on October 9th, so we'll talk about that next time we uh, meet again. But let's talk about this finals match real quick. So this was my match of the year um, alongside of Utami Hayashishida versus Suri from uh, June in their time limit draw then into a double KO match. I think while that had the greatest story of the year, this had the greatest meta-narrative of the year. And I'm going to go into this a little bit. So beginning with the match, we saw that Noah Cyberfight, since they just launched their new Wrestle Universe uh, streaming service, this was the first event on it. They have 4K cameras now. So the action was blending and bending between these 4K cameras and their traditional, you know, DSLR cameras that capture the hard camera and all this stuff. So at times it felt like it veered through this sort of classic traditional lens of Japanese wrestling that we've been watching things through for the past 20 years. And then this like very cinematic, this is the future of wrestling look like technology is only going to get better. We're only going to be able to capture these movements quicker, faster, and better frame rates. And it, it honestly reminded me of Gemini Man, 
like this clash between the past and the present and the future. The present is Nakajima and Keno. The past is the medium format, right? The traditional way to capture wrestling. And the future is this 4K. So these crossroads of everything kind of link here and create this really powerful moment of, God damn, the world's really changing. And wrestling still finds a way to evolve alongside of it, you know? Think about other things that have kind of just fallen off in those days since the inception of wrestling. And think about all of the ways in which wrestling had to evolve. It's not like basketball players suddenly have to start playing basketball a different way. It's like the skills evolve, but for wrestling, since it is a performance art, since it is an art, it has to constantly find new ways to attract audiences. It has to constantly find new ways to speak to audiences, to connect to them. And I think that this is a match that we can look back on 10, 5, five 10 years from now and say, that was one of the first ones to do it. And I also have to credit Riptide Wrestling from the United Kingdom. I'm not sure if they're still around, but they were really the first ones to start this really cinematic wrestling um, style outside of the cinematics. And even then, shit like One Last Beat in the fucking Boneyard or whatever, those are barely cinematic compared to what they're doing here because those are just cinematic in the sense that they're not in a ring, that there's cuts and there's edits. That doesn't necessarily make something cinematic, right? I can shoot something on my phone and make a bunch of cuts and edits, but that's going to fucking suck and it's going to look like an amateur production. And that's what all those WWE productions look like. This, on the other hand, is cinematic because they are justifying the use of the technology. And goddamn, besides that, this was the stiffest match of the year. These men kicked each other all straight, all sorts straight to hell. Every kick sounded like a gunshot. Noah really has capitalized on this clap crowd atmosphere because their strikes are just so goddamn loud. It's like those empty arena UFC events we got at the Apex Center. And I love them. I fucking adore them. Um, it's great. Um, the final sequence is probably one of my favorites of the year. Just an unbelievable series of strikes where I, I can't believe that these men didn't get knocked unconscious. And now looking forward, um, let's talk about the junior division real quick before we get to the rest of the show. Um, Ita defeated Sushi Katogi in his first Noah singles match, setting up the Paros, um, Nosawa, and Eita facing Momonaseishun, um, Hajime Ohara, and Itsushi Katoge for the junior heavyweight titles, which have been flip-flopping around, as well as Hayata versus Daisuke Harada. Personally, I'm hoping uh, for Harada to defeat Hayata. I think he's a far more interesting champion. But with Ita now in the company and doing all these, being a new, fresh, exciting face, it seems like they really love fresh, exciting new faces like Keiji Muto, who is tied for rest, worst wrestler of the year alongside of Evil. Um, always like to shout that out, how shitty and awful Keiji Muto is, just absolutely ruining and tarnishing his legacy. I don't even remember the good matches he had at this point because all I remember is him laying on the ground for 24 minutes against Takashi Sugiura. So it looks like we could have, you know, the most boring thing is that both champions retain. And I guess no matter what, it'll be exciting if one faction's leading the division as the others come for them. 
So now then, we have Katsuhiko Nakajima versus Naomi Chimera Fuji for the GHC heavyweight title at that Grand Square show, um, along with the junior titles in contention. Um, I should say up for grabs. I'm excited for this. I fantasy booked this to hell and high heaven or whatever the fucking phrase is. I think it's time for Mara Fuji to drop the belt. Um, he beat Muto. That's a huge rub. It felt like, in a way, he was reclaiming the title for people who enjoy wrestling in Noah. Um, he had a five-star defense against Takashi Sugiura in June, which I just thought was fucking incredible. One of my matches of the year. He had another four-and-a-half-star uh, match against Sakuraba. Again, incredible. So two great defenses against two of the top talents in Noah. I think that Nakajima, especially after losing after last year's N1 victory, needs to win the title. Then you set him up with a really solid defense, maybe even against Kitamiya, right? Especially after he won Cage War. But do you really want Kitamiya to lose two GHC title challenges in a year? Maybe not. I don't think you do the same for Kiyomiya. So maybe you go to a Fujita. Maybe you go to a Funaki again or something like that. Who knows? Hell, maybe even they run back Keno and Nakajima. No matter what, I have no, I have absolute, I have absolute faith that the match will be incredible. But I think after that first defense, if it's in November or December, after that fucking defense is over for that January first Budokan show, there's only one man that makes sense to face Nakajima for the title there. It's Go Shiyazaki. He needs to return after that. We still haven't heard anything about his return. He wasn't even on the Misawa show, not even in video form. They have kept his healing process, his recovery, incredibly secret. I am not sure why if things are worse off than they are, but Go has been out of commission since February. I need him back. It's almost been a year. My favorite wrestler. He is the ace of, New of Noah. And you know what? As much as I love him, I think Nakajima needs to beat him in January. And then I think that Nakajima holds the belt until the end of the N1 next year. Go wins the N1 and then finally reclaims his belt. I think that's the story you need to tell. This Axis partnership is still the best one to have existed in Noah in probably the past five years. It's the Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, right? The Hangman Page and Kenny Omega of Pro Wrestling Noah. These two men are destined to do it forever and they need to capitalize on that. Do I believe that Nosawa has the fucking energy, the intelligence, the courage to do that? Remains to be seen, but no matter what, I am praying, I am hoping, I am manifesting Katsuhiko Nakajima versus Go Shiyazaki on January 1st at the Budokan. Now, All Japan Pro Wrestling. They held the final day of their Super Deluxe Series Tour. Notable matches from that event saw Shugi defeating Yusuke Kodama, a good junior title match. Um, at first, I was dreading it, and then I was like, wait, I just like Yuya Susumu, not Yusuke Kodama. So I was happy about that. Kodama showed up. It was a smart match on his behalf. A lot of Good, intelligent heel tactics, kind of catching Shuggy in compromising positions and whatnot, um, as opposed to just doing bullet club bullshit heel tactics. Shuggy defeated him for his, I believe, third defense of the title now since winning it from uh, Kira Francesco. Kenta Miyahara defeated Zeus in a good match. Not great. I don't think they really had the time to make it great. I gave this one a 3.75. I think they've just had... Such better matches, especially last year's Champions Carnival Finals. 
um, that you know what they can do. And it feels like they were told, hey, don't steal the show on this one. Um, so Kenta Miyahara is now the number one contender for the Triple Crown. And, in ta- and uh, speaking of the Triple Crown, Jake Lee finally defeated Suwama in 24 minutes and 40 seconds. This is Lee's second defense of the title since winning it in the vacant um, sort of weird fucked up three-way that they did following the champion carnival. Um, Lee looked good in this match. I would like to see them run this back at one point. I give it four stars, but I think that's probably 0.25 or even 0.5 higher over than what it is to a lot of people. Um, I am a big Suwama fan. I think I love all of his big matches, even with Yoshitatsu. It's really hard for me to dislike them. I love his fire. I love his fighting spirit. I love his move set. So I think most of the time these matches are going to be four stars for me unless they are fucking trash. So I am biased on that. However, I will say this is a big, big thing for Jake Lee to finally overcome. It's always felt like an almost illegitimate title reign um, since Lee did not defeat Suama for it. So this is um, him sort of riding his course. Makes me think of Kofi Mania. You know, Kofi taking down Ziggler, then Orton kind of cleansing his past. And um, so now Lee is fighting Miyahara next. So after Ashino, Suwama, Miyahara, I think that if Lee beats Miyahara, which I am hoping he does, it will really feel like this is the new top guy in all Japan. And um, so let's see it happen. Let's see that fucking magic start. I believe that match is going to happen at the end of October. We're also going to see the Twin Towers Team of Shuji Ishikawa and Kohei Sato versus Shitaro Ashino and Suwama, also known as Runaway Suplex. Um, on the most recent Road to show, the Raisin and Army Memorial Series that happened, I believe, a couple days ago, uh, Ishikawa actually pinned Suwama while Suwama was teaming with Dan Tamura, which is interesting to not pin Tamura. Guess they're protecting him for his. Uh, eventual triple crown run 10 years from now. But um, I think that obviously means that Runaway Suplex will be retaining the titles. And speaking of tag team action, they announced the blocks for their real world tag league. So let's talk about it. In A block, we have Runaway Suplex, the world tag title champions, Hokuto Omori and Jake Lee, Abdullah Kobayashi and Drew Parker from Big Japan. Interesting that Daisuke Sakamoto won't be with them. Um, makes me a little bit wary of Takuya Nomura's upcoming defense of this strong title. If Sakamoto beats him right away, I think I am pretty done with the company on a serious level. They're doing the Drew Parker, hey, let's change the future, and just kidding. Um, but yeah, seeing Drew Parker instead of Daisuke Sakamoto has me a little bit worried, wondering why Sakamoto's not there. Maybe he just doesn't want to do it. Maybe they want to promote Drew Parker. Don't get me wrong, I absolutely love Drew Parker, but yeah, I'm just uh, worried. As well as Jun Saito and Rei Saito, the Young Lion Brothers. Uh, interesting matchups here. Saito Brothers versus Runaway Suplex, I think, will be good. Um, Kobayashi and Suwama matchups are always pretty funny. Um, I'm interested to see how Drew Parker fares in with the very, like, you know, Suplex, Road, King's Road style of, um, of all Japan. As we've seen him do a lot more kind of like hybrid style wrestling and big Japan deathmatch stuff, obviously, but I don't think I've ever seen him been doing heavy suplex stuff, all of that. So I'm excited to see how he matches up. And um, in terms of people who I think could get a win over the champions in this is 
Hokuto Mori and Jake Lee setting up a potential future title shot is I still think the Total Eclipse and Evolution saga is not over yet. In B Block, we have the defending champions, Yuma Aoyagi and Kento Miyahara. We have Tajiri and Super Crazy. I'm surprised that Tajiri is going to be back already. He did just win the MLW Middleweight Championship. So it looks like that will be taking to All Japan and perhaps be another title that will even be defended there. So now we have the Gayoro TV title, the Junior Heavyweight title, the All Japan Six-Man titles, the MLW Middleweight titles. So more stuff, but, you know, if it means Yuma Aoyagi gets a big win and gets to do something like that and even gets to go to the U.S. and do Fusion or whatever, that would be cool. Um, L. Lindemann and T-Hawk, you're all Asia Tag Team Champions, and Itsunagi and Purple Devil. Um, I'm excited for L. Lindemann and T-Hawk versus Aoyagi and Miyahara. Uh, I think Itsunagi's, you know, facing the all Asia Tag Champions again can be fun, um, just because of the history there, but I really do not care about the Purple Devil. So really only one interesting matchup in that block. In C block, we have Shuji Ishikawa and Kohei Saito, the Twin Towers. Yoshitatsu and Seigo Tachibana. Leona and Mitsuya Nagai from Tradition, shoot-style wrestlers. And from 2AW, Kengo Mashimo, also your Kyushu, Kyushu Pro Champion. And Kazuma Sakamoto from Dragon Gate, or formerly from Dragon Gate, as he's been removed from the roster. Um, I think that this is the most interesting block, kind of along with D-Block, just because it's like, we haven't really seen any of these matchups, um, and there's the potential for some really good stuff in this, you know? Say, uh, Saigo Tachibana had that good Champions Carnival match, or Royal Road match against Zeus, and I think that the majority of the people in this block are incredibly hard-hitting, as well as the next block, and that's what I'm excited to talk about, too. D block, we have Zeus and Shigehiro Iri, probably one of the best teams in the tournament. Takayo Omori and Yuko Miyamoto, who I'm always happy to see in any promotion. Who's also, actually, he's your Big Japan Death Champion, so that makes me think that we're safe with Sekimoto and Nomura if he's going to be there. And then we have Koji Iwamoto and Ryuki Honda and Koji Doi and Kuma Arashi. This is probably the best block, honestly, now that I'm looking at it. This is just going to be... Shoulder tackles, tests of strength, suplexes, fighting spirit. This one's going to be a lot of fun. So, who do I think could win the tournament? I am hoping if Shuji Ishikawa and Sato weren't already challenging for the titles, I would say them. Um, I think it would be cool to maybe see Runaway Suplex win it. Um, if I had to put money on a team that I could see going all the way. Zeus and Shigehiro Iri. That's going to be my pick to win the tournament. DDT held their Who's Gonna Top show. Um, notable matches. We have the return of Yoshihiko teaming with Jun Akiyama, defeating the team of Kazuki Harada and Harashima. This was a really fun match. Um, I know a lot of people do not care for the comedic side of DDT, but... I love a good Yoshihiko match. I think that they are very inventive, very fun. And again, show the ways in which pro wrestling can be any form of art. Um, we had the final damnation match before the group broke up. Shuji Ishikawa came back to step in for Yuji Hino, which was very cool. They played a beautiful, really fun 
video montage before capturing all of the team's great moments and highlights between Ishikawa, Endo, Sasaki, Hino, Mad Paul, everything, right? Um, good match, not incredible by any means, but really fun and a good farewell to a pretty goddamn good faction. Probably my favorite heel faction outside of like, in terms of if you're talking about your red, um, Bullet Club, Totally Clips, all that shit. And then in the main event, um, Kanusuku uh, Takashita made his first defense of the KOD title against Chris Brooks. This was Chris Brooks's best match to date. This was another incredible match for Takashita. Um, between this and the Akiyama match, his fucking title run is already be quickly becoming one of the better ones in the world right now. The post-match promo between Takashita and Brooks is the best post-match promo of the year as well. I'm not using hyperbole here. I'm not exaggerating. This is the truth. I cried. Um, to, to, to summarize... Takashita panting out of breath is saying, Chris, you said that you have no friends when you came here. You said you had no friends. But Chris, look around. Look at the fans. Look at the people in the back. Look at the people on the side of the ring. Look at me. We are your friends. He's like, I, you are my best friend. Thank you for choosing DDT. Thank you for choosing us. And it was, and then he gives them a hug and it's just Chris Brooks holds the title up for Takashita and points at him. It's the best emotional stuff that you can hope for in pro wrestling. Just phenomenal. And even better now, on the new Wrestle Universe, we're getting a fucking talk show in English called Are You My Best Friend with Takashita and Chris Brooks. I love it. And now we're going to talk about the Dio Grand Prix 2021 2. Because usually the Dio Grand Prix, it's like 2K, right? If it's 2020, it's going to be 2021. They think it's funny, but they decided not to do that this year and called the 2022, but rather the 2021 2, which I think is even funnier. So Block A, this is set up right now to be the best tournament of the year because there is not a single weak person outside of maybe the bodyguard. And even then he's set up to have some pretty interesting matches. So Block A, Jun Akiyama, Tetsuya Endo, Yuki Ueno, Naomi, Yoshimura, Yuji Hino, and The Bodyguard. I don't really have to talk about dream matches just because every matchup is a potential dream match. Um, block B, Kanosuke Takashida, Hiroshima, Katsusada Higuchi, Mao, Chris Brooks, and Yuji Okabayashi. Block B is maybe the block best block of any tournament this year. You have the Takashida-Chris Brooks rematch. I mean, Takashita is a new champion. Everyone's going to be gunning for him. His teammate, Mao, Higuchi, Harishima, Okabayashi, motherfuckers. God damn, that's going to be awesome. And Takashita took the tag titles from Okabayashi and Harishima. Wow. Then you have Higuchi, Harishima. Okabayashi, Higuchi is definitely going to be one of the matches of the tournament. It's just going to be insane. You're going to have the wily, smaller... Mao trying to navigate all of these big man Haas matches. I haven't been as excited for anything outside of DDT's Block B in terms of tournament stuff this year's. I don't think it's going to be phenomenal. Make sure to sign up for Wrestle Universe, folks. Like right now, if you sign up now, you get October, November, and December all for just the price of January. $9. That's it. You pay $9 now, you get four months free. It's fucking insane. I feel like I sound like an infomercial, but get it. Big Japan, 
They held their new standard Big B the day when Thank You Explode show in Sapporo to an audience of 510 people. This like doubled their last attendance records, if not so more in that place. This is one of their biggest audiences of the year, a much needed one. And I'm not sure if it has to do with the crowning of Takuya Nomura or the matchup between Miyamoto and Ito, because it really depends on Big Japan shows. Like they're either there for the old guys, you can never really tell. Some notable matchups from this show. Okami, remember that's Hideyoshi Kamatani and Daichi Hashimoto, the BJW Tag Champions, defeated Kohei Sato and Kazuki Hashimoto. Good match. Takuya Nomura defeated Yasufumi Nakanoe, ending his um, title reign at seven defenses since January 5th. Nakanoe was someone who I said again was I was not very big is them becoming champion. I felt like it kind of came out of left field. I'm a big Okabayashi guy, and he had really just won the title again. And I was just kind of like, why end Hashimoto's 300-plus day reign only to drop the belt to Nakanoe so soon after? It'd be like if Violento Jack ended Sugiura's reign only to drop to Takeda right after. It's like, why did this guy even get the rub then if he was just going to lose it immediately, right? Um... And, but I think I can confidently say at the end of this, Nakanoe became a, a champion of the year. His title reign was one of the best five title reigns of the year. All of his matches really delivered. He really showed up, especially, you know, his 30-minute his time limit draw with uh, Nomura, his match with Abe, Sekimoto, his incredible match with Yuya Aoki. I just thought he had gotten so damn good by the end of it. And I'm really, really excited to see what he does now. I'm thinking maybe he goes for the tag titles. I feel like that could be a really exciting matchup. So Takuya Nomura is finally the BJW Strong Heavyweight Champion. This is incredibly exciting. One of the best young wrestlers in the world, along with Fuminori Abe. Um, he said that he wants to return the strong division to the prestige of the times of Hideki Suzuki. His first defense, as I said, is against Daisuke Sakamoto. It's, it's going to be fucking incredible, I'm sure. It's all happening later this month. And then we had Yuko Miyamoto defeat Ryuji Ito in a scaffold death match. This was awesome. I know sometimes we can get sick of these old guards, but man, Miyamoto and Ito can still go, especially when they're together. Um, and they just had such crazy spots. It ended with Miyamoto doing the moonsault double knee uh, splash off the scaffold down to the ground. Just brutal. He did a tarantula hold um, with Ito on top of the scaffold. And then Miyamoto's holding on to his arms and legs, hanging underneath the scaffold. Just a lot of really, really cool spots. You can tell I'm having a blast just talking about this one. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, so I thought that was a really good show, and I will say this, especially after the defense for Fuminori Abe and Yasufumi Nakanoe on the 5th as well, I think that Big Japan just had their best month this year. After a really tumultuous um, Ikutousen Deathmatch Survivor Tournament, which lasted, I think, from March until June or July, things finally, some really questionable booking decisions, just things seem to have finally kind of evened out, right? Having the GCW ultraviolent title there, 
Um, having, you know, Nomura win the strong title, Miyamoto now in a good run with the death title, and them not doing really awful matches. So we'll talk about it more. So then on September 23rd at Karakun Hall, they had Kota Sekafuda defending the junior heavyweight title against Tasuhiko Yoshino. Not a good match. The junior division is uh, seriously lacking. Ever since I think Kodaka lost the title, these younger guys just aren't doing it. And this was not a good match. And I think even then that's being generous. And then we had Drew Parker make his first defense of the ultra-violent title against Yuki Ishikawa. So, yes, did we want Drew Parker to be a, the death champion and usher in a new era? Absolutely. But is it exciting to have a potential new deathmatch division in Big Japan? Yes. And in this case, I'm going to try to be optimistic. I'm going to try to look at the glass half full. These two had a bloody as hell awesome deathmatch. So now... Drew Parker will be defending the title against Akira Hyoto, and then Yuka Miyamoto will be defending his title against Hideyoshi Kamatani. So it seems like while the deathmatch division is still going to be using glass, not as extremely perhaps as the ultra-violent division, we're going to get more hardcore stuff in that, more crazy gimmicks, right? Scaffolds, TLCs, stuff like that, cage. While it seems like Parker's going to really sort of revolutionize this ultra-violent um, Ultraviolent division is more of like your literal GCW title stuff. Um, straight up glass, barbed wire, Kenzans, all that awesome shit. Freedom style death matches, right? And I think that's what it needs to be. If you have that diversity, then what you can really do is bring these young boys up, make them stars in their own right against each other so they have good matches, not against goddamn Jackie Numazawa. And then, um, and then they go on to the death division eventually, once no one else in that division can walk. Um, the next day in Shinkiba first room, we had Kankuro Hoshino versus Akira Hyoto, G-Shock 10-10 imploding. Um, this was one of the nastiest matches of the year. These dudes are just fucking, like, they're bleeding everywhere, and it's not even so much because of glass. It's just like, they're just cracking each other's skulls open. It's brutal. It's bloody. I mean, it's two best friends in a tag team just beating the literal piss out of each other and blood. Um, Hyoto goes over and solidifies his contendership for the ultraviolet title. And then finally, on September 25th, so four great shows in a, in a span of five days. This is a new Big Japan, it feels like, and I'm really hoping that they continue with this forward momentum. Okami defeated Hiroyuki Suzuki and Takuya Kato, which was their third successful defense of the titles in one month, um, which I am liking this resurgence of the Big Japan Tag Division because Okami just did three defenses in one month. The previous champions, astronauts, only did two defenses in six months. Again, kind of signifies the booking problems with Big Japan the past year, but hopefully now we are running the course. Almost done, folks. Game Changer Wrestling announced that Rina Yamashita and Masashi Takeda will be uh, participating at their Evil Deeds event, as well as the Nick Gage Invitational 6, the third entrant so far being Eric Ryan. Holy shit, Deathmatch fans rejoice! This is going to be awesome. This is going to be so fucking awesome. Um, Like, there's so much you can do here. I am hoping that they also go to ICW No Holds Bar just because I feel like Murdoch's been calling out Takeda. I think we need to get Takeda versus Murdoch, and then we need to get Rina Yamashita versus Sarika and Mickey Knuckles. I think that would be fucking insane. Do that triple threat 
Mickey Knuckles and Sadiq has still got beef to settle, especially after volume 18 last weekend. And throw Rina Yamashita in there, and I think you have an absolute chaotic, crazy, bloody death match. Um, in terms of who I'd like to see them face in the tournament, it's got to be Takeda and Cologne. No questions asked. Masashi Takeda, Alex Cologne. That's what needs to happen. Um, in terms of Rina Yamashita, that's really hard to say. I'm thinking like... I mean, Eric Ryan would be cool. I think, Eric, uh, you know, Yamashita does better against those strong style opponents. So I think Rina Yamashita versus Masada could be really, really cool if they decide to bring Masada back again this year. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think he went to the finals last year and the Mance Warner beat him. Um, but that could be really cool. I think Yamashita really shines when she's against those like Nick Gage, Takeda, Masada type figures, as opposed to uh, Drew Parker, Sakuda, Eric Ryan, you know. But no matter what, it's going to be awesome to see them stateside Takeda for the first time in a long time and Yamashita for the first time ever. And I am stoked for her at this point. I'm just going to call it Siri is the Women's Wrestler of the Year. And Rina Yamashita is the most outstanding. Sorry, got to take a quick sip of water. I did not plan on talking this long. God, this is longer than a normal episode. I think I prefer this template so much more. Freedom's held their 12th anniversary show. We saw Toshiyuki Ueki and Tosh, uh, Takeyuki Ueki, sorry, and Toshiyuki Sakuda defend their tag titles against Mammoth Sasaki and Takahiro Katori in a hunter or hunted hardcore match. And then Violento Jack defended the King of Freedom's world title for the second time against Tomoya Harada in his first ever challenge. And a future is coming on glass board in Alpha Deathmatch. This was great. Harada showed a lot of cool babyface fire. Um, there was some really cool um, spots. Harada just is that strong style deathmatch. Jack looked great. He really is just filling the shoes that Sugira left perfectly, if not even better. I mean, there's a two amazing title matches back to back. His match with Takeda was a match of the year contender. And after Harada really giving him that shine, I'm excited to see what's next. I'm not sure if we have a contender yet. I'm not sure if we'll get another match between now and Bloody Christmas, but I'm hoping we do. I can maybe see Kasai. I can maybe see a Sasaki. We'll see what happens. Um, what, God, what would we want at Bloody Christmas? Honestly, I would love to see Drew Parker versus Violento Jacket Bloody Christmas. GCW Ultraviolent for the Freedoms Championship and then maybe Drew Defects. Who the fuck knows? Um, Gleet, Hayato Tamura formally signed with them. So that has come to an end, that whole discussion. Dragon Gate held their Dangerous Gate event. Um, the Triangle Gate title switched over as Eita, Hayo, and Kaito Ishida defeated Dragon Dia, La Estrella, and Jason Lee. Diamante also defend, uh, defeated Shun Skywalker via referee's decision. This set up the five-on-five -five series match between Red and Masquerade that we're about to start. I believe that actually began today. Basically, each member of Masquerade and each member of Red draws a name. They then face each other in singles competition with a 15-minute time limit. Um, it should be exciting. I always love faction warfare. Do I wish Red was a faction? Absolutely not. But hey, it's what we're getting. Um, natural Divides, Susumu Yokosuka and King Shimitsu 
made another successful defense of their uh, Twin Gate titles against Strong Machine J and K. Not a lot to say about this one. Three stars. It's watchable. It's fine, but it's nothing to recommend, nothing to seek out. Obviously, with these Strong Machine gimmicks, you're not expecting a bunch, but uh, nonetheless, Natural Vibes is a great team, and I support him. And in the main event, an amazing, an amazing Open the Dream Gate defense for Yamato against Kota Minora. There were times where I thought Minora had it. Um, did I have True Hope? Not exactly. But especially after Nomura won, since this was on the same day, I was like, maybe both the young boys will win. Sadly, Minora did not. But I think that within the next couple years, two to three years, Minora will definitely become one of those new flag bearers for the company. Um, more than anything, I am hoping that Casey returns this October. I am hoping that he makes a big challenge for it in December or January and is able to pick up the title then because maybe what I'm thinking is he lost against Skywalker because they knew he had to take the time off. So then they had Yamato come in, give Yamato the big rub. He's one of their prestige champions, you know, one of the, the top five. And now KZ can even get a bigger win against one of their legends. So that's my fantasy booking. Maybe Yamato's just going to hold it until fucking Naruki Doi or someone beats him again. 2AW. Um, Katara Yoshino and Take Nagai made another defense or made their first defense of the titles, tag titles against Jun Tonsho and Koji Doi. Fine match, nothing to write home about. I really do like Katara Yoshino and Take Nagai, also known as Tall Glons, Tall Giants, I believe. Um, they're a fun tag team. They're both like sub 5'3, five, 5'4, five, but they hit hard as fuck, and I love them. They have great fighting spirit. Um, something fun and notable to note, uh, the Kyushu Pro title was actually defended in 2AW by Kengo Mashimo, and uh, that's the first time we've seen that, so I thought that was exciting. And now, finally, Stardom. They finished their five-star Grand Prix, and good God, was this amazing. We had Mayu Iwatani spoiling Starlight Kid's finals chances, chances at the finals um, a good match, not incredible, and it's not because it couldn't have been. It was because of where it was slotted on the card. I believe they only went 8, 10, maybe 13 minutes at the most. But this was the first chapter in an eventual very long series. And even then, I gave this a 3.75. Um, oh, yeah, let me go through real quick. Uh, Yamato Minora, 4.25. Natural Vibe Straw Machine, 3 stars. Diamante Skywalker, 3.25. Triangle Gate, 3.5. Um, Violento Jack Tomoya Harada, 4. You know, Kankuro Hoshino, Akira Hyoto, 4.25. I'll talk about him next time. I feel like right now I'm just jumbling nonsense. But so Mayu Iwatani defeats Starlight Kid. That allowed Momo Watanabe to reach the finals, which was incredibly exciting because we were chanting Momo 5-star all day. Um, so I'm excited to see what happens next between Starlight Kid and Mayu Iwatani. I think something interesting that could happen would be, um, you know, the wonder of stardom title kind of flip-flopping between Iwatani and Starlight Kid. But even then, I don't think this feud needs a title. I think that Tam definitely needs a contender, though. And uh, right now, it feels like she just hasn't had any serious ones. I think it's been, what? Natsupoi, Unagi, Micah, stuff like that. So nothing too crazy. 
Um, Suri went to a time limit draw against Takumi Aroha. An incredible, incredible match. 4.5 for me. Just phenomenal wrestling. And this decision led Suri going to the finals. There was a spot in this where Takumi Aroha kicks Suri so fucking hard that she drops to her knees, almost collapses. Takumi catches her head with her foot and then just skull kicks her again. Awesome shit here. Tam Nakano defeated Utami Hayashishida. So you have your wonder champion beating your world champion. Really exciting here. I love that, you know, I feel like Tam was really the focal point of the company, especially with her Julia hair versus hair match. And it feels like after that, Tam's performances have not faltered in the slightest, but it feels like her, not even position on the card, but the emphasis on her and her storylines. Yes, she's building the cosmic angels and everything, but it feels like she's not in that like, wow, this is a hot feud right now. And I think that's, you know, symptomatic because of Utami's just had this, you know, since her and Suri had that match, Utami, everything Utami's been doing with this World of Stardom title has just been, oh my God, what's going to happen next? This is so exciting, right? So it's not so much a symptom of Tam not being interesting as is just the booking right now. But I'm really hoping that Tam gets back in the in the spotlight soon because her title run has been deceptively incredible. I can't remember the last time Tam had a under four-star match in a major match. So this solidified um, Siri going to the finals. So in 18 minutes and 36 seconds, Siri defeats Momo Watanabe to be your five-star Grand Prix champion. This was a five-star match for me. Match of the year contender. Suri will now face Utami Hayashishida again on December 29th for the World of Stardom title. So now we had their 30-minute time limit draw going into a double knockout at 44 minutes. We then had their 20-minute time limit draw in the five-star. And now there must be a winner, they said, in this match. There must be a decisive finish. I cannot wait. With all the history thus far, Siri dedicating it to her mother, Utami trying to, to establish Aestum. There hasn't been a time yet where I've said, I think it's time for Utami to win the, lose the title. But at that point, Utami will be over a year's champion. I think it's time. Suri is that person to win. Suri's your fucking wrestler of the year. There's no question about it. Gave her the title. Um, in terms of this finals, it was everything you wanted. Desperation, brutality, just such great wrestling strikes, strikes, and strikes, insane suplexes. I mean, there was a million times where I thought it was over, and it never was, and it kept you at the edge of your seat. It was pro wrestling at its absolute finest, tournament wrestling at its absolute finest. Not a lot much more you can ask for. Word an hour, so I'm going to end it here. I'll see y'all in two weeks, a month. Who knows? I'll probably come back. Maybe I'll come back after the end of the G1. And we can talk about that then. So who knows when we'll be back. But thank you so much for listening to Burning Fight. As always, I'm Aniello DeAngelis. Follow me on Twitter at Aniello, A-N-I-E-L-L-O-O-O-O-O. -O 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 -O.